Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Like, you hit somebody on the butt right now. You're not giving them Corona through their butt. This is the Press Box. Shove it in. With Grady and Bischoff. Set up with a bottle of ranch dressing and he just starts screaming, get it all over my face. On ESPN Las Vegas. My gosh, I don't know what any of that meant, but we're here on a Wednesday. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. That is Jared's talent. He makes it a mystery. Let's get with the first bite. The first bite. Should the Raiders take a linebacker in the first round? They're not gonna. Ooh. Well, according to Paul Gutierrez, they should because he teased us yesterday and then he made Michael Parsons' <laughs> pick with the ESPN draft. I'm not I'm not completely against it. I mean, I thought uh, Kwiatkowski and Morrow had solid years last year. Uh, Littleton obviously completely underachieved with what they thought he was going to do and the money they paid him. I thought the other two were pretty good. But, you know, everyone says – Tyler, how great Micah Parsons is. I think the kid from Notre Dame, Jeremiah Owasku Karama, I think I'm saying it that right, is a first-round guy. So I think they have better needs at free safety and, and right tackle, but I don't think it would be crazy to pick a linebacker if it's the right one. I think it would be one of the worst things they could do in the first round. Well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Can you give me your opinion on this? <laughs> because so, I, I need to know how you feel about this, Tyler. So... And there, there's listen. There's a lot of reasons why I think this would be a horrible idea to take any of the linebackers. And and pretty there's pretty much only two first round linebackers. I think there's like a, there's a guy from Missouri and and the the guy who's a giant from Tulsa who are kind of like edge first round, back end first round, early second round guys. But I, I honestly don't know if there's a worse type of pick they could make because. If you're well, looking at, if you haven't you, gone to the offensive like skill positions yet, that's true. That's true. <laughs> a, uh, you're right. A running back would be worse. A running <laughs> yes, back would be worse yes, if they yes. if they take Najee Harris at pick oh, seventeen. Yes. That God. could be worse. No, we need to start the campaign right now. We need to. They need to pick Najee Harris. <laughs> It'd be phenomenal. Then they'd have three running backs from Alabama. They're gonna run the um, diamond but... formation: Derek Carr and three running backs. And two tight ends, and no, like no Tannery Rugs. We'll we'll see you later. Oh, so so we got Waller, this basketball player they signed, and then yes. three running backs from this. This is a good formation. Uh, that'll be that'll be good. Be like, Kev, be like Kevin Kruger, they're gonna go small. Somehow Foster <laughs> Moreau still doesn't get any targets. Of course not. No, no, Foster Moreau is not allowed to play ever again <laughs> on the roster. Not allowed to play. But for them to take a linebacker, I think it'd be terrible for a lot of reasons. First off, if you look at just twenty twenty. Three of the top eight cap hits on the Raiders roster are linebackers. Corey Littleton, Nick Kwiatkowski, and Nicholas Morrow, because they gave him a one-year deal for $4.5 million. So they're already heavily invested at linebacker with regards to the salary cap. So using a first-round pick, using, hey, we can get a cheap starter on a linebacker would be kind of stupid because you've already got three guys uh, that are making big money playing that position. Now, second, the Raiders are likely to play with just two linebackers on most snaps, meaning one of those three guys with big cap hits 
are going to be on the sideline most of the time. Like, except for short yardage situations, they're going to be on the side. At least one of those guys is going to be on the sideline most of the time, which is already a little bit dumb. But if you draft a linebacker in the first round, that means you're going to have to put two of those high-paid guys on the sideline most snaps, or your first-round pick's going to have to be on the sideline with one of those guys most snaps. And that also seems dumb. And then the final reason, well, no, actually, I got two more. Uh, The third reason is linebacker, similar to (laughs) running back. Linebacker is the least important position or, or, or it carries the least value on defense. Like you would rather have a good defensive end. You'd rather have a good corner. You'd rather have a good safety. You'd rather have a good defensive tackle before you'd rather have a good linebacker. It's the least valuable position on defense. And the Raiders have already invested a ton on that side of the ball. Wasting a first round pick on what is the least valuable position would also be a little bit dumb. And then If you're just looking into the future, because a lot of times you could draft a player and say, well, it's not really about this next season. It's about maybe two or three years down the road. Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski are both under contract for multiple years. Now, if Littleton is bad again, right, like you can try to find ways to move on from him, even though he still has dead money, I think, next year as well. But like they have two linebackers under contract for multiple seasons. So if you take a linebacker in the first round, either – that first round pick for not just one season, but two and maybe three seasons is not starting or one of the guys you're paying quite a bit of money is not starting. So to me, it it does not make sense. Even if you love Micah Parsons, even if you think Micah Parsons is a difference maker, I can't, to me, it makes zero sense. I cannot figure out a good reason as to why you would take any linebacker in the first round next year based on their roster construction. And I didn't even mention with any of those reasons, that they don't have a starting free safety, they don't have a starting right tackle, and the rest of their cornerbacks aren't any good. Like, you could take a cornerback and he could beat out Damon Arnett, and great, but, like, they have so many more needs that they can't just simply draw. oh, Mike Parsons fell, we need to take him because he's great. Like, they have so many more needs, they can't do that. I mean, they have more needs. Like I said, I would, if you have a, a free safety there, see, I... It's my opinion they should take a right tackle because I think the the I think there's really good ones in the first round. I think that that's an important position, and I think moving Denzel Good out there is not the long term answer. Then obviously you got to get a right guard. I guess I favor more so that any position good is done defense now because they stink at defense. And when you talk about Corey Littleton, and here's the other thing I know about his cap hit and everything, but and and they would have to do things to move on from him. But we've seen in the last few years where they've moved on from people and they've admitted mistakes. I mean, obviously, they've been big mistakes by the Raiders where they've had to move on guys who have underperformed, who made a lot of money. Um, I mean, I guess my point would be if, if Micah Parsons is your guy and he's let's just say he's terrific and everyone says he's going to be terrific, whatever. I mean, he's he's the best linebacker in the group and he comes into camp and he beats out Corey Littleton. I know you're spending a lot of money on Corey Littleton, but at this point, to me, if you're on that defense, you play the best people you have. I don't care what the guy's making. I mean, if Corey Littleton's going to play like he did last year, he probably should be beat out for what he makes. Um, so it wouldn't be my first pick. I think I'd pick a right tackle. I just, anything, anytime I hear they could get, like, one of the best defensive players in the draft, I said, well, just draft him because you're so bad on defense. I, I'm kind of torn between if you take – the TCU safety mooring over, let's say, one of the best tackles falls. I might still take tackle. I that's I'm kind of been I, I've kind of been torn on that. I guess it depends on who the tackle is. I just think that's kind of being overlooked because they're so bad defensively. So everyone's saying, what are you gonna do defensively? Well, if you don't get a guy to protect Carr on the right side and and your whole right side is not a great, you know, not a great offensive line, you could be really bad. So 
Um, I see what you're saying about the, the cap and everything. I just think if he's one of the best defensive players, they're just they need so much defensively. They're so bad defensively that you know, and I, maybe that's the reason Paul took him in his draft for ESPN. Um, he took Micah Parsons. I didn't watch the whole draft. So I don't know who was really available and where the tackles went in that draft. Um, they have a lot of holes. They they need a lot of things. I mean, linebacker wouldn't be my first choice. I don't know if I'd fall off the couch if they took Micah Parsons. <laughs> I just would like them to address right tackle, and I don't know if they're going to do that. Well, I'll tell you this. We should all fall off the couch if they take Micah Parsons because he's actually mocked to go in the first round. That's actually a first oh, that, round. There you go. Yeah, I might fall off because it's like, why did you pick the third or the fourth <laughs> linebacker prospect who was supposed to go in the second day? Yes. Like, I, if, I if will they be don't... mad if they pass on Micah Parsons and no linebackers are gone. I will give you that. <laughs> the character so, guy. <laughs> well, he's the opposite of a character guy. <laughs> Which is apparently why you might fall to the Raiders is because he's got character problems, <laughs> oh, whatever that means. Then he's not getting drafted. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why That's why. they're going to end up taking the Zavin Collins guy from Tulsa who's mocked in like the second uh, round most places. They, there's going to be no linebackers off the board and they take Zavin uh, Collins from Tulsa because he's big. That guy's uh, big. Oh, that's definitely who they're taking. Oh, he's big. Like he is six five. Wait, they have someone who's big and is not supposed to go in the first round. Yes, big. Oh, not. That's oh, it. yes. That's Zavin, it. Zavin, look up Zavin Collins from Tulsa. He's yeah. massive. He's just a yeah. monster running around playing yeah. linebacker. So we've now, might... we've now identified who they're taking. <laughs> well, we wanted to get bigger at linebacker. That was our goal coming into <laughs> the draft. I, I, this is why I need to be out at mandatory minicamp to tell you guys this guy's pretty big. Oh, yes. I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait yeah. for them to draft Zayvon Collins, yes. and then Ed can report back on us. <laughs> He's big. If, Look at if, this guy. If six foot five, 260 pounds is big, uh, that'll be great yes. if we find out if he did big or not. Yeah. So I am – listen, I, I'm curious what they would do in terms of what position they're after because, listen, like, they have two genuine holes on their roster. Like, as yeah. much as Mike Mayock wants to talk up Jeff Heath and – Jared Jones Smith. Like they have Jones Smith. They have two positions on this team where they do not have a starter. And they have two picks in the first two rounds. After the first two rounds, it's hard to really project a third, a fourth, a fifth round pick to be a starter. You can find them. I mean, they found Max Crosby, they found Hunter Renfro. Like you can find guys that can be starters in later rounds, but it's just it's a lot harder to do that. You could have a third round like they had last year where they trade one guy away, one guy's for special teams only, and Brian Edwards then never like plays an offensive snap, it felt like last season. So well, it, it feels we're gonna do our mock draft. We're gonna do our mock draft on Thursday. I want to do the first round pick, and I also want to do with you, we'll do a contest, third round and beyond, which quarterback they take, because we know they're taking oh, one of those at some point. Oh man, uh, predict he, the quarterback. He can't help himself. He's gonna take one. Oh, we gotta go find which quarterback <laughs> is big. Which <laughs> yes. just just is there like is there like a six foot nine quarterback well, from some division no. two school? No, but that that Sam Ellinger looked a little husky at times for Texas, so maybe a little, a little. A little. I think he's he, he's in the target husky area for the jeans and stuff. So maybe it's Sam Ellinger. There's gonna be someone I'm telling you because of Mariota's contract, and maybe they might want to do something there. Uh, that if they're thinking at all about Mariota, third or fourth round, they're gonna grab a quarterback. I, 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 I don't know why I'm convinced of that. He looked a little husky. Looked a little husky at Texas. Maybe it's just the shoulder pads. He had a big shoulder pads, I guy. Usually nowadays in 2021, the shoulder pads are a lot smaller. Maybe it's those flat jackets he wore. But he looked a little big. So he's the heavy? 
He's the heavy. He's the heavy. <laughs> okay. Coming up next, uh, we are going to talk about the Pac-12. But first, some on-air show planning. Jared, do we have the same three things to give away we gave away yesterday? Yes, I was going to say let's give them away at the uh, 45s. All right, we will give them away at the 45. So stay tuned. In about 30 minutes, you'll have a chance to win a copy of MLB The Show. It's football. That's what we're here for. So all the other stuff is irrelevant. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Did you know Kansas still hasn't hired a football coach? Yeah, I saw Pat Forty tweet earlier today that they think they're going to hire one today. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that they hadn't. I just remember all the craziness in the off season. They needed an AD. They finally got an AD. So maybe you know they waited around for that person. I mean, it, they should wait around because that's the person who should be hiring the coach. But um, probably time to get one. You're, it's not really Bama where you can walk into a set winning program. So you probably need to get someone in there to like see what what they can do. Les Miles was fired or. On March 8th, it's April 28th. What what have they been doing? Like, I know they didn't have an athletic director, but that didn't stop Bill Self from extending himself. Why didn't Bill Self hire a football coach? Anyways, I just saw tweets about Kansas is, might have a football coach by the end of the week, and I was like, why don't they have one already? Like, what's happening there? All right. Anyways, there was a story yesterday in the Mercury News. Uh, about the Pac-12, who, by the way, doesn't have a commissioner lined up to replace Larry Scott when he leaves this summer. Uh, But this story in the Mercury News, the Pac-12 is apparently considering hiring two people to take the conference commissioner job, splitting it up into two roles, which nobody else does. Uh, But the reason for this is that they want someone who understands sports business so that they can negotiate a good TV deal in about two years when their media rights deal is up. But they also want someone who understands Pac-12 sports and is connected to the campuses because that was one of the criticisms of Larry Scott, that he did not connect with the campuses, that he didn't even visit uh, the campuses in the Pac-12. They want somebody who's more visible and you know just has better relationships with the teams and the athletic directors in the conference. But, I, okay, so what Like, what do you think of them potentially splitting up the conference commissioner job into two positions to make two hires? I mean, this just defines how bad Larry Scott was, that they're now trying to do this. And I don't even know, connected with campuses, I don't even know if Larry Scott knew all the campuses or knew all the teams. In league. He was an unmitigated disaster in so many ways. But... So in in the immediacy, I think, oh my god, this guy was really bad. They now have to go to two people. If you if there is a strong line drawn between the responsibilities of each and who ultimately, someone has to have the final say. They just do. I mean, you have to have a commissioner who ultimately will have the final say. Even though he has a board of directors and you know conference, actually the president's always at the final say. But you have to have someone ultimately in charge. When I thought about it long term, given what twenty twenty one is and how lagging they are behind in. Uh, amount of money they get compared to the other power fives and their TV deal. Like I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world because the big thing now is TV contracts, sponsorships, how much money you can generate for your teams. So if you tell me you're hiring someone just for that, it's all the person does. They're an expert in that. They have TV connections. Like I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for this league. This league is really behind the other power fives. So they're trying to, I think, be creative to try to, I don't know if they'll ever catch up money wise with some of these TV deals, but 
Yeah, I don't. I guess it depends on the people, but I'm not completely against it because it's 2021, and you better have money and sponsorships and TV contracts. And if you can find someone who has connections and is an expert, and then the other person can kind of take care of whether it be championships or whatever you know a daily commissioner's job is to deal with all the teams. I don't think it's crazy, and it, like I said in the immediacy of it, it shows you how bad Larry Scott was. So Big Ten schools get approximately like fifty million dollars a year from their television deal, whereas yeah. Pac-12 schools get about thirty million. So right. there's a a massive gap between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 as far as how much money each school is getting. Um, according to John Wilner, who reported this, uh, Amy Brooks is the president of uh, operations for the NBA. And she is a candidate for the conference commissioner job, or at least the half of the job that would negotiate the television deal. Okay. Here's what I here's what I don't understand: the idea of being like connected to the campuses. It, if I was the Pac-12, I feel like I would just hire the person that I think is going to do the best job negotiating our television deal, and then just make them go visit people on campus do what UNLV does with the with the coach caravan before the pandemic where you force them to go out and meet people across the city like hire somebody that you think is going to do a good job negotiating this television deal and then send them to each campus to shake people's hands and eat dinner and all this and i feel like you could you could figure out how to connect with the campuses like that's something you can learn hire the person that's going to actually give you a good tv deal first though yeah, I mean, I, again, they're so far behind in the SEC, and the Big 12, the Big 10, like you said, in money. Maybe they feel they need a person working 24-7 just on that. I would prefer, as you mentioned, I'd even think of this, you know, because they're, they're, they're a non-power five that needs a lot of exposure. What if the Mountain West did a caravan and it was haircut day with hair Thompson? Would that be awesome? Like, you could win. Like, we give away haircuts on this show, but, like, five fans of the Mountain West could, like, sign up and, like, get a haircut with hair Thompson to bring more uh, – publicity to the All conference five I think fans? Be yeah well uh, no i mean I, yes your point is right if you can get one person who can do it all and by the way there are other leagues who have that person power five wise and they've done very well for themselves go ahead and do it if you think you're so far behind on tv contracts and sponsorships and you just want someone only doing that that's their only job I can kind of see it. They're, they are lagging behind a lot. They should never be this far behind, in my opinion. I mean, they do win championships. It's you know, it's like, I know it's only football and basketball, but it is a conference that's won a ton of national championships. And the fact that they're this far behind money-wise, to me, is surprising. And to me, again, goes directly back to how, you know, the, the weaknesses that Larry Scott had and, and how he just, you know, kind of failed at his job there with that conference. So let's pretend UNLV was really attractive and there's another round of conference expansion and UNLV had the choice to join the Big 12 or the uh, Pac-12. Uh, which which do you think they should prefer to join? Oh, gosh. I mean, well, I don't know how much people put strength into the recruiting regions and areas and all that. I mean, it's always been said the Pac-12. Um, I, I, you know, I know Allegiant Stadium, and everyone says, you know, uh, that P, the Pac-12 should want them. I, I've always kind of disagreed because, you know, if you can beat them now, why would you have them join? I don't think an NFL stadium and NFL team should really be the deciding factor of bringing UNLV to the Pac-12. I know what you're going to say money-wise, but if I'm then, I join the Pac-12. I would say the Pac-12 too. Uh, the Big 12 has more TV money at the moment. Uh, it's about 10 million more per school. Uh, 
But assuming the Pac-12 negotiates a good television deal in the future, that conceivably is going to be mitigated. The problem with the Big 12 uh, for UNLV, first off, regional the regional part of it would be a little bit tougher than the Pac-12 because now you're all of a sudden you're in the same conference as West Virginia. Uh, right. But to me, the bigger issue, like if you were choosing between the two, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to be like the laughing stock of the power conferences forever. Like I think the Pac-12 is going to come back at some point. And it, I don't know how quickly it'll pass the Big Ten or the SEC or if that ever happens again. But the Pac-12 is going to... Yeah, the Pac-12 is going to come. It's not going to always be, oh, it's the Power Four in the Pac-12. So to me, that's not as big of an issue. The bigger issue is like when you look at the Big 12, the problem is Texas. Because if you go back when Nebraska, Texas A&M, and Missouri all left the Big 12, one of the biggest reasons was that they thought Texas had too much power in that conference because Texas created its own television network. And they thought Texas, like if whatever Texas wanted, went in the Big 12 and a lot of those schools didn't like that, so they left the conference. And now you're left with 10 schools. And if Texas were to ever leave, if Texas were to ever decide, yeah, we're joining the SEC or we're joining the Pac-12. Oh, yeah. The, it's, yeah. the, the yeah. Big 12 is done. Like, you're, you're yes. done if you're the Big 12 at that point. So, to me, yeah. if I had, if you had the choice, if you're UNLV and you had the choice, you're joining the Pac-12 just because even though it's sort of viewed as the worst of the power conferences – it's still more stable than the Big 12 because the Big 12 has one school that if they leave, it's done. Whereas it would suck if like UCLA or Oregon or USC left the Pac-12. But if only one of them left, the Pac-12 isn't falling apart. If Texas leaves, the Big 12 is done. Yeah. I remember that when those expansion talks were happening and we were doing a lot of stories. And I was talking to Jim Livengood a lot about it. He said the exact same thing every time. He goes, nothing matters in the Big 12 except Texas. And people might you know, be surprised that they haven't won big in football in a long time. Basketball, they haven't won big. Everyone thinks about Kansas football, Oklahoma, excuse me, excuse me, Kansas basketball, Oklahoma football, and all that. But you know if you're in the Big 12, the school that matters and the only school that matters, money-wise, size-wise, everything, uh, market-wise. So you're right. I mean, that's what everyone always says about the Big 12. People are usually surprised at that. I mean, you know, UCLA basketball is coming back. That's huge for the Pac-12. But there's not that one signature program. USC football has been down comparative to the past. They just need better TV deals. And again, if you're telling me there's someone out there, whether it's this NBA executive you said who can do these things and get you closer, then I'd hire the person. And here's the other thing people don't realize. They they realize, but they forget. Conferences are run by the presidents. So if you get two people in there, the presidents still usually make all the decisions anyway. The athletic directors um, you know, tell the presidents what they want, and, the, and they play off the conference office. But presidents make the decision. So I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world if the Pac-12 went with two people. As long as that person in charge of money and TV do their job well, they'll probably come back a little. I don't know if they'll ever come back to the SEC or Big 12, but they've got to narrow the gap in the money line. All right, coming up next, Jerron Weitzman joins the show. You know, I'm a realistic guy. You know, I know I'm not a top 10 pick going to this draft, but, you know, I think I can find myself in a great fit um, with an organization that, you know, understands what I do and, and I'll be able to come in and be contribu- uh, and contribute for an organization. I think I can do that at an effective level. We're back to the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is Jerome Weitzman. Make sure you check out his podcast, Weitzman Can't Jump. How are you this morning, Jerome? I'm doing okay, guys. What about you guys? Yeah, good, we're good. good. 
Um, all right. Yeah. So I, I think you you might be able to answer this question better than anybody we've had on this show. Uh, the Knicks the Knicks have Tom Thibodeau as a coach. Julius Randle's their leading scorer. Somebody named Emmanuel quickly is good. How would you explain <laughs> why the Knicks are a good basketball team this season? Um, it's one of the strangest questions. Julius Randle is having a uh, you know a most improved player campaign, unlike one we've ever seen, right? Which is and it's hard to explain. I mean, he got in better shape. He's shooting. I think this, the stat is this year he's going to finish over forty percent from three. He's going to be the first person in NBA history with a certain minimum shot to have like shot under thirty percent for his whole career and then be over forty in that one year. Um, so just gives you an idea. Thibodeau, and you know, I guess we learned Tom Thibodeau wins basketball games. You know, where the Knicks go from here in terms of building out a long-term plan um, and who gets to make what decisions. That will be an interesting. Uh, I guess this battle for them to navigate or, you know, different kind of opinions for them to navigate. But um, in the meantime, so they have Randall playing at an all NBA level and Tom Thibodeau built the turn the Knicks built in uh top five or I think they're number three now NBA defense. So that's the answers. I, I want to ask you about someone who's about 10 years older than Julius Randall. And yet people are, I don't know if they're amazed, but they're impressed with what Chris Paul has done at this age. And that team you hear about, the Clippers, once Kawhi gets healthy, if the Lakers are full board, people would just expect them to win the title or get to the final. You don't hear about a lot of the Phoenixes or the Utahs, but talk about Phoenix. Booker's having a great year, but most about Paul. Are you surprised at what Chris Paul's been able to do? Um, can I say yes and no? How about that? Like I, you know, Chris Paul, wherever he goes, the teams win. That goes out. That, that's just been, you know, that's been a fact for his entire career. We saw it even last year was a great example where OKC, he, I think they were a five seed and, uh, Excuse me, it took Houston to seven games, right? The James Harden Houston team. Um, and that team was pegged as a lottery team entering the season. So you see that. That being said, so I thought Phoenix would be, you know, a three, four seed. That being said, to tell me, if you were to tell me before the season that Phoenix would be battling for the number one seed in the West and the best record in the NBA and being basically the most consistent team throughout the season, I guess the them and the Jazz, the Jazz have had some down parts to it. It's a little more streaky. Um, no, that part surprised me. And it just shows you, it's one of the fun parts about basketball, right? That like stats, you know, the stats matter and Paul's stats are good, but he just, he brings winning. He plays a winning style of basketball. He knows how to win. It's the, you know, the t- prototypical cliche point guard stuff. We always talk about that. He really, that thing, you know, that's the way he impacts the game. It's really cool to see. Do you believe in the Suns enough for them to actually win a series against the Lakers or the Clippers or actually get to the Western Conference Finals? I do. Like, so believe, like, would I pick them? No. Um, would I be shocked if they won? No, right? The Lakers, well, I guess, you know, the Lakers, it starts with health. If the Lakers are healthy, I expect them to be, I expect them to be, um, if the Lakers are healthy, I expect them to be the favorites with AD and LeBron, if they're overwhelming. I think their defense is still number one in the NBA, even without, um, even without LeBron maybe being fully healthy. So if they're healthy, I would expect them to be their favorite. I expect them to win the championship, I think, or at least make the finals. Um, but would I be shocked if the Suns beat them? No, the Suns are really good. Chris Paul's really good. They have a guy, you know, Devin Booker, can create a shot in the half court. We know that. They're really good defensively. Mikael Bridges is a great wing player. The one question for the Suns for me is whether, you know, defensively at the five positions. So DeAndre Adams big. Um, he's not a great rim protector, and some teams, he's not so mobile. So teams, I think, are going to target him. You're going to see in the playoffs and kind of put him in action the pick and roll. And if he gets played off the court, do the Suns have a backup who can kind of switch and play that position effectively defensively? I'm not sure they do. Uh, Steve Nash said last night they were the first in the East to clinch a playoff spot. Uh, this is the beginning. We're not done. It's certainly not what we're here for. Uh, all said and done, if they're completely healthy, who has the best chance to knock them out? 
to knock out the Nets in the East or in the NBA? Yeah, the the Nets in the East. The East. Um, so I mean, I, Milwaukee. We're we're also we all decided like collectively that we're bored with Milwaukee, right? Like you know they've been <laughs> yes. years in a row and they, <laughs> they lose early and Giannis wins two MVPs. And I I mean I'm gonna say I don't know why that is. I know why that is. Like I do the same thing, right? I rather watch other teams as opposed to watching Milwaukee. Milwaukee's really really good. This is their best team they've had in a couple of years. Um, Drew Holiday is excellent. He makes a big difference for them. Brings them a new dynamic. They've been consistent. They're, I don't know. They're, they're basically hovering around the top five offense, top five defense. They have more. They've done things this regular season where they've turned it basically into a lab for the playoffs and trying different sorts of things. So instead of playing the same schemes all the time that Bud has always played since, Atlanta, since coming in, and that have had they've run into issues with in the playoffs. They're switching a little more. They're trying some new things on offense instead of spraying the floor, putting a guy closer to the rim. Uh, you know, a guy that to, in terms of um, a guy you can pass the ball off to to prevent teams from walling up the defense against Giannis. Um, little things like that. So I think Milwaukee. I don't know what the odds are now. Milwaukee's really good, and they have the three guys again. Nobody can guard Harden, Kyrie, and Durant because you know that's just, they're too good. But if you're going to pick three guys to go up against them and make life difficult, um, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday, like that's, that's a really good trifecta. You wrote a story about Zion Williamson and how he's getting his shot blocked at a historic rate. Um, I know Stan Van Gundy sort of said it was it was a BS stat because he's only shooting <laughs> at the rim. What, what was your biggest takeaway from Zion getting his shot blocked so much? So one, it's part of it. So, you know, I play, and I wrote this in the story. I played around with it a little bit. You know, it's, he's driving a ton, right? He's going, he's like living in the paint and he's driving and scoring more points in the paint than really anyone we've ever seen. And that includes guys like Shaq, right? Guys who we think of just as behemoths who you can't match up there. Um, but I do think it's telling. One is that he had a sl- it, he's going to have to learn to diversify his game a little bit. And that's okay. All the superstars do. Like think about LeBron and his jump shot his post game and Giannis evolving and things like that. So just, driving in head down and launching into defenders. It's not always, you know, Zion gets the free throw line a lot. He scores a lot of points in the paint. He could probably use or learn, and he will because he's so good, like some finesse moves or other ways to finish around there. The other thing it tells is they need some shooters around him to space the floor to pull defenders out and make them have to make choices between, okay, do we guard Zion? It's kind of what the Bucks did with Giannis, right? Do we guard Zion, collapse in the paint here, and then he's going to hit open shooters? Or do we stay home on the shooters and then Zion can go one-on-one basically and finish just over one or maybe one and a half guys in the paint. And right now he's driving into walls of like three, four guys. And that's, to me, that's what the stat tells us. It's not really a, it does, it's not really a commentary on Zion's game more than on the Pelicans and how their team is currently built. Your uh, own, you, I need one true or false answer from you before we let you go. True sure. or false, the NBA is rigging Celtics games to make sure there's an interesting team in the Eastern Conference play-in series. <laughs> uh, I, but I've never been in the conspiracy theory, guys, from a sports perspective. Maybe that makes me naive, right? I don't know. Um, so I'll say false on that one. But I do enjoy that. I do enjoy that, uh, that perspective. <laughs> he is your own Weitzman again. Check out the podcast, Weitzman Can't Jump. Uh, we appreciate it, your own. Thanks, your own. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Oh. The Celtics are falling, Ed. They're, they lost to the Thunder yesterday. What in your mind would be the odds for a team with one of the greatest offensive players in the history of basketball to give up a 28-0 run? Did you see that last night? Wait, who gave up the 28-0 the run? The Warriors gave up a 28-0 uh, run to Dallas. That is, again, that is 
well, twenty eight zero in the NBA is absolutely hilarious. That no one that that the Warriors wouldn't score over you know over twenty eight points. You know, as as weird as the Warriors have been, but Steph Curry was actually on the floor. That's like, <laughs> I don't know what the odds or a prop would that be, but it would be astronomical that they wouldn't score with a twenty eight zero run with him playing. It's just mm-hmm. it's it's amazing. I mean, you see those things. And you're just like you kind of double takes like how is that even possible? It also yeah, it's, it's not even possible. Didn't it happen over like nine minutes? So there was like multiple timeouts yeah, I mean, yeah. involved. Where okay, yeah. draw something up. Yeah, yeah. And, and he said afterwards. Uh, Kurt said afterwards, I don't care about the run. I care that we didn't defend anybody. Yeah, you because yeah, I don't care about us not scoring. Uh, it, to me, it's not that surprising that the Warriors would give up like. 28 30 40 points without much defensive effort there because they're they're not very good but it is surprising that like steph curry wouldn't make a single shot in nine minutes like that is that is surprising i mean the dude the dude made like almost what did he make like 53s in a week like almost 53s in a week like just a week ago like the guy had the greatest shooting week in like the history of the nba so yeah i mean it is a little surprising that he would go nine minutes regardless of how many other teams scored without making a single shot they were during the stretch. They were 0 of 18 from the field, 0 of 9 on threes. Now I don't know how many how many threes were his. Uh, the drought actually started. This is a great line. The drought started after Curry hit a 31 foot step back. So you know, I mean, he, he he's 31 feet out of base. But then they go on an 8 or 28 0 run. The Mavericks do, and Luke is going crazy hitting every shot he takes. But I, those things always like shock me with like him on the floor. It's like I don't even know if that's possible. Like I would once it got to 10 0. I would say he's taking every shot down the court. Like you, yeah, no one else is ever I'm shooting saying. again. Like till we stop this damn drought. You come out of a timeout and you just you run the picket fence. Yes, every come, time. Just go, <laughs> Steph. Get two. Get like six inches of space and chuck you it. shoot every time. I mean, uh, shouldn't that be their offense regardless of how long the drought is? Like well, that should just be the game be, yeah. plan. Period. That, that should be the game plan. Luca, thirty-nine and eight assists in twenty-eight minutes. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's pretty, pretty good. good. The the, be, the best stat line from that game though is Draymond Green, twenty eight minutes, zero points. Oh, another thing. Like, he's not Steph, but that's almost impossible. Well, I think like Draymond Green, we have we have discovered Draymond Green, very good defensive player. He's a good passer too. Like he he's a good basketball player. He is not very useful unless he's surrounded by all stars. Like he's not like he's not he's not doing much to help you win unless you're surrounded by really good players. Because right now he's playing with guys like Andrew Wiggins and Kavon Looney, and it's like, all right, Draymond Green's not helping those guys do anything at all. Like Draymond Green, very good player if he's on a good team, kind of useless if he's on a bad team. He's like a coach on the floor, man. He's oh, coaching gosh. those guys had, up. Uh, I mean, he had like not as much because the Rodman would have had twenty rebounds this game, but. In 29 minutes, he takes one shot. He gets 11 boards, three assists, three steals, two blocks. Like you said, he does a lot. And I had six turnovers. Um, but one shot in 29 minutes? I know he's not your main guy, but that's – Looney only took three shots. I mean, they've got guys on the floor who don't even shoot. Yeah, like that – like that's – like if he – if you told me Kevin Durant – or excuse me, uh, Draymond Green took one shot while he was playing with Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and uh, Clay Thompson. Oh, that's right. Of course, you'd be like, well, yeah, you don't he want should, him shooting. Yeah, he, he probably shouldn't have even taken the one. But yeah. when their when their starting lineup has Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, some guy named Michael Mulder on the floor, who played uh, Michael Mulder, who by the way went for twenty six. Who's that? Yeah, like I He's think you can. From three. I think you can get away with uh, Draymond Green taking more than one shot on that offense. Yes. But but here's the yes. thing: all I want 
All I want is the Warriors in the Western play-in series so we can watch Steph Curry go nuts yeah. shooting a bunch of threes. Even if he misses all of them, just shoot a bunch of threes and hopefully you'll beat somebody and upset somebody and everybody will be sad well, and hate the play-in series. That's why you That's why you asked Yaron about Boston. I mean, in those play-in series, the NBA cares about one thing. Is there any interesting storylines here? Like, you can sell Steph all day. You can sell like, – just get people in that people might want to watch. Yeah, well, if you look at the if you look at the East right now, the play the the one play in series would be Heat Hornets and the other would be Pacers Wizards. So oh. there there wow. is there is one interesting team, the Miami oh. Heat, in that four. Um, and it's because like, their young star, they don't know if he's super into yes, basketball. Yes, it's it's because Tyler Hero has a lot of Instagram followers. Wow. Like. That's it. Like, uh, like that. That's the extent of excitement. So, if the Celtics were to fall down, they they're uh, they're clearly more interesting than any of those four teams. Like, that's that's what they need is the Celtics to fall down there. Like, you get Celtics Heat in a little play-in game to start the the East. Yeah, people will care about that. People will watch that. That'll be interesting. You give us Pacers Wizards. <laughs> and nobody nobody's no, watching. Really. They're they're putting the play-in game on NBA TV at like three in the yeah. afternoon yeah. east coast time like yeah we know you guys don't want to watch this this isn't going i mean on real the, the, there'll be the first it'll be the first in history an nba playoff game starts before this show ends <laughs> you guys watching it jared you got it on the tv they're about to start the nba playoffs it's 8 a.m all right here's your chance to win a copy of mlb the show for xbox mlb the show super fun for both hardcore and casual baseball gamers no matter what your play style is MLB The Show 21 has you covered. So here we go. Caller number 6, 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100 to win a copy of MLB The Show. Off speed. It's a ground ball up the middle. And France has it. Tries to go to second. He can't. France diving up the middle in the grass. Couldn't really secure the baseball. And it's an RBI single for Tucker. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Can't believe Jared didn't pick up Kyle Tucker. Congratulations to Brian. He won a copy of MLB The Show for Xbox. MLB The Show 21 is out now. You can create your dream team in Diamond Dynasty Play with your favorite legends, flashbacks, and current day players all on your team. Um, all right, Ed, I'm just I'm just going to ask you a, a simple question. No, I'm not even going to give you a question. I'm just going to give you a stat. The Los Angeles Dodgers have won two of their last eight games. Are we talking about home run derby here or not? <laughs> they, well, you uh, don't want to. <laughs> lot of lot of lot of injuries in the bullpen. Well. <laughs> Soft Bellinger can't get past this broken leg he's got or something like that. That kid's got to get back. The Soft. bats aren't good. Five through nine were horrible right now. I know we had a couple clutch hits last night, but five through nine, they've been terrible. No one's oh. hitting. They've got Rayleigh and these guys out there. I mean, it just they gotta get they gotta get healthy, but still tied for first. And uh the Padres, this is better news, are closer to last than first this morning. So it's not the the world hasn't ended and it's pretty good. I told you last night, you know, I'm screaming at the TV because they're losing to the Reds. They keep taking the lead and then giving it up because their bullpen stinks. But I am going back and forth and I'll keep this early in the season, I will be honest with you. This early in the season, I was happier the Padres lost than or Padres lost than the Dodgers because I think the Dodgers will be fine. But I am now switching to Padre games every night, screaming at the TV 
for a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks, of which I have absolutely <laughs> no feeling for whatsoever and couldn't name you three guys in their team. Hey, you're going to have to cover that team whenever they move to Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I, I want to take people behind the scenes a little bit. Ed and I have Ed and Tyler balanced as far as their audio to a certain extent. And I, obviously, it still sounds bad because Tyler's in his bathroom. But when Ed said the word bullpen, he spiked so loud that it got picked <laughs> up on Tyler's mic. <laughs> they are in separate rooms, which means that he was so loud on Tyler's speakers or headphones that it came back through Tyler's Se microphone. Separate rooms. I think we're probably 30 miles apart. <laughs> I, okay, you're in separate cities. Yes, exactly. I am um, so in, I'll I am leave in it the... at that. They're not playing well, but uh, if it's going to slump, you might as well slump now, right? Don't slump late in the year. I am in the future home of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, yes, yes. Home run derby story. The Pioneer League, a minor league, uh, it's an independent league. They are going to uh, try something out this year. They're not going to play extra innings. Game is tied after nine innings. They're going to have home run derby, where each team will pick two players, and those players will get five pitches, and whoever hits the most home runs on those five pitches wins. If they're still tied after five, they do a sudden death thing where first guy to hit one wins. Greatest idea or worst idea to end a baseball game without extra innings? Well, I think no matter, I think it'd come down to what fan of the team you are, right? Like, who do you have on your team? I mean, if if I'm the Angels, I'd say, yeah, let's let's put that one guy up there all the time. Um, so I love it because this is where it's supposed to start, right? It, it's an independent league. The, the, you know, it's all about getting people out there. This is what independent leagues do. They come up with crazy marketing strategies, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I like it, I, I, but I also like starting it on starting the runner on second too. I just don't want it ever to go back extra innings the way it was where you play it out. Like I hated that; it took too long. So I'm going to give this a thumbs up. You know, it's an independent league. Why not try it? Um, for the major leagues, I guess I wouldn't mind it. I mean, I'd like if Trout or someone was on my team that I rooted for. But yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun to watch. Am I, Who would be I pitching? I, it'd be your pitching coach, right? Who would be pitching? I, I assume so. I assume yeah. you've just got somebody on your own team that goes out there yeah. and throws meatballs up there. But yeah. like, it, it would make like Joey Gallo significantly more valuable yes. because oh, Joey sure. Gallo, as long, as long as you're not actually trying to strike him out, Joey Gallo can probably hit a lot of home yes. runs for you. Be five um, for five. I vaguely recall in like whenever Gene Carlos Stanton and Barry Bonds were with the Marlins, somebody basically saying having this idea and making like an exception that are the hitting coach so that you could put Barry Bonds out there. <laughs> and so like, yeah, we're just trying to get to extras so that Barry can go out there at 55 and get the, get us the win. All of a sudden, Sammy Sosa's hired as a hitting coach for some team. Like bring him back, bring him back. He's going yard. They're not checking these corked bats. Albert Pujols would just suddenly just like, everyone be like the angels really lucked out on that contract. <laughs> I like I love the absurdness of it and how mad people would get over it. But like just imagine one of those one of those Dodgers games with the Padres. Instead of going to extra innings, all of a sudden Fernando Tatis and Mookie Betts are trying to hit more home runs than the other in a quick little yeah. five pitch setup. It'd be great. Also, I had a better idea. Instead of just a home run derby, you have a guy, he's got to lay down a bunt and get it into a bucket up the third baseline, oh, then then run on. all the way around the bases, and then hit a home run, and the fastest yeah, okay. player to do that wins the game. That would last longer than the regular way. No one can bunt! <laughs>